Hello, and welcome to hashtag my investing story. Um, as always, we come to you on behalf of the Better Investing community with another special guest. I'm very excited to say welcome to Ken Kavula. Ken, how are you today? I'm doing great, Ioni. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm kind of excited. I'm, I'm excited too. I, I feel like I have to uh, rein myself in because I just want to be like, Ken is here! Ken is here! <laughs> so uh, before I get into um, <clears throat> welcoming you to uh, hashtag my investing story, I do want to let everyone know that uh, my investing story is uh, really a public outreach um, service or uh, what do you call those things? PSAs, public service announcements uh, from the Better Investing community, um, from two volunteers from Better Investing, really sharing the message of uh, and spreading the word that uh, regular ordinary people can become successful long-term investors. Uh, so with that being said, I, I do have to share the BI disclaimer that um, we don't intend to talk about stocks tonight, but we may because we have Ken here, um, but it's really for uh, education and edutainment uh, purposes only. Um, none of the, the stocks or things we may talk about tonight are supposed to be for um, you to take and do you know, on your own. So anyway, this is uh, for um, informational purposes. This is for your uh, enrichment. So with that, again, welcome, Ken Kavula. How are you, man? I'm doing great. It's been a, uh, quite a last two years, and uh, I would love to get back out and start meeting people again face to face. Uh, this this over the airwaves is okay, but uh, I really like shaking hands and talking to people face to face and sitting down and sharing a meal or a drink with them at the same time. So well, you, you left out shaking hands and kissing babies because I think. <laughs> <laughs> not running, not running for anything, Ioni. <laughs> so, so with that, let me just start off by saying that um, Ken Kavula is a gem within the better investing community. I, I'll let you speak to the number of years that you've been a BI member. But uh, as I'm reminded every time that I talk to Cy Lynch, Cy Lynch has been a member longer than I have been alive. And so um, with that being said, uh, again, we're really happy to have you, Ken, uh, because I think that your story is going to be so impactful and phenomenal for people to listen to. Because again, you know, in the world of investing, um, and you've been doing it for 30 plus years, uh, there's not enough of us regular people that's been doing it before the tech bubble of uh, 2000 that's really been around and, and can even be um, a voice for investment clubs, a voice for better investing. So with that being said, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get started with uh, the first question I'd like to ask all my guests, which is uh, how were you raised? Where were you raised? Uh, was money talked about in the home? Was investing talked about in the home? And if it's not, you know, what kind of money habits or things that you observe from your parents or your community and your surroundings that you kind of picked up uh, while growing up? 
Well, I was raised in Warrensville Heights, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, my parents, uh, as were most parents of people in my generation, were children of the Depression. Uh, my dad lost his father when he was 14 years old and never finished high school. Uh, my mom was raised by a single mother and uh, she finished high school, but at night, because she had to work uh, during the daytime uh, to help support uh, her mother and her brother and sister. Uh, money was not anything that uh, we worried too much about. We didn't know that we didn't have very much money. Uh, my dad was a machinist. Uh, he was the only salary in the family. And uh, we had five kids, so uh, it was tight. Uh, the house was small. Uh, and they didn't trust anything to do with the stock market. Uh, my dad was a great saver in savings bonds. Uh, he fought in World War II, and uh, until almost the day he died, he was still buying on a regular basis savings bonds, and that was the way that he invested. Uh, that stuck with me right from the beginning, that he would take what little money he had and put 18 or 19 dollars into the um the credit union at that point and get himself one 25 dollar savings bond every pay um my first real like, personal experience with money i never had an allowance or anything like that but we moved to warrensville heights when i was six years old and uh, we had a really big low spot in the back corner of our yard and our yard butted up on a field and we had a wagon and my mom offered to pay my brother and myself a nickel a wagon load if we would go out into the field and dig some dirt and bring it back and pour it in the hole. So we calculated how rich we could get by doing that. Uh, and we ended up getting about 30 cents a piece and then we were tired and that was it, that was finished. Uh, my next experience came when I was 12. Um, I got a paper route. I was in the sixth grade and I kept that paper route throughout uh, high school. Uh, it paid for almost all my clothes. I still remember uh, collecting the 40 cents uh, from people. That's what the paper cost for a week. We did not have a Sunday paper. This was at that point, Cleveland had three different papers and there was no Sunday paper in the press. Uh, but people would a lot of times give me 50 cents instead of 40 and say, keep the dime. And that dime was, that was quite a bit of money back uh, in 1960, 1961. So uh, I started saving uh, and my first investment came when my mother convinced me she was always a great one for Christmas clubs. And I don't think anybody even knows what those are today. Uh, but you take a little bit of money every month and you put it in the bank and then the bank gives you interest on it and gives you the lump sum back around the 1st of December and voila, you have some Christmas money. Well, I was, wasn't believing that the bank was going to give me 5% of my money back uh, at the end, but sure enough, they did.
I put in a dollar a week uh, and came back with, a, I don't know, about 60 bucks when it was all said and done. And that's what I used to buy Christmas presents for a couple of different years. That really was investing, though. It was when banks paid decent interest to people that were savers. Um, I got a lot of scholarship money and went to uh, a school down in the Ohio River called Marietta College and uh, majored in math, wanted to be a teacher. Uh, the neighborhood I grew up in uh, didn't have a lot of uh, college-educated role models. Uh, we had a pharmacist uh, that had a college uh, degree, and we had a police officer that had a degree on the street, uh, but it was uh, mostly working-class people, extremely integrated, and uh, it was... Uh, a great place to learn what was uh, true and what wasn't true about people. Uh, I went to Marietta, uh, majored in math, wanted to become a teacher because teachers were the role models that I looked at as, as really having, having a great life and being able to become rich. Uh, little did I know that wasn't the the truth uh, about <laughs> teaching. You didn't you didn't make a lot of money when you were a teacher, uh, but uh, at the graduation time we had a recruiter come from uh, Michigan down to our small college and looking for a math teacher. And he said, "Would you like the job?" I said, "Yes, but I have to go where my fiance is going to be." Uh, Natalie and I were engaged to be married, and uh, I wanted her close by, and she wanted to be close by. So he said, I don't know what her major is. I don't know what she's planning to do, but would she want to teach sixth grade? And so I said, hold on one minute, Jack. And I ran across the street to her sorority house and brought her over, and, and he asked her the question, and she said yes. So uh, she came, we went to Michigan, we were going to stay for two or three years, just enough to make a little bit of money. And then we were going to go back to our hometowns where we're still here at the in the same little town. We spent our entire career at the same school. And that's where I really began investing. Uh, this Jack, Jack Hass, uh, who was uh, my mentor and my uh, father, if you will, uh, came to me my first paycheck uh, and came into my classroom after school and handed me my very first paycheck and, and told me it was $10 short. And he was saving that $10 to put into a 403B for me. Uh, but I had to come to the office and sign the paperwork for it. Give, well, give people a, a, a time, a year, so that they can- 1969, okay. So uh, my first real investment was $10 into a 403B. For those of you that don't know it, that's sort of like a 401k, but for people that work for the public and a teacher works for the public. So we have these 403Bs. Uh, they're, they're, they're terrible investments, by the way. They're, they're not really very, 
very good. Uh, I made more money self-directing the money from my 403B after I retired. I made more money in three years than the 403B had made in 32. But still, it was investing uh, every single paycheck uh, that I had from Genesee schools. Uh, and that's where I spent my entire career. I had money coming out of it for the 403B. And every single paycheck of my wife's had the same thing. So we learned very quickly that pay yourself first uh, was rule number one. And rule number two was to take advantage of the, the tax uh, deferment in accounts like that. Uh, a lot of people today would love to go to Robinhood immediately and put their after-tax money into an account and, and play with it. And uh, I tell them that before you become an investor with after-tax money, you should be making sure you're, you're taking advantage of all the tax benefits that accrue for, for uh, money that isn't going to be taxed immediately. So uh, I, I did that uh, for 32 years where I taught. And uh, our goal, we knew that we wanted to retire in our 50s. Um, and when we were in our early 40s, we started looking for activities that we could do together. Um, we didn't want to end up with two hobbies that were taking us in two different directions. We didn't see very much of each other when we were teaching. Uh, she was doing all kinds of extracurricular things. I was doing all kinds of extracurricular things. And, you know, you, you would meet in bed at, at 1130 at night and, and say, hello, good night. And that was about it. Um, so in our early 40s, we, we, we started to look for something that we could uh, do together. Uh, Nat's dad had just passed away, and we didn't really understand that investing had been his hobby. Uh, Nat's background is completely different than my background. Uh, her dad was a college professor, and uh, in fact, a professor at the college where we went. Um, and uh, he, his passion was investing, and he had, uh, on his death, he had over 100 different stocks and no more than eight or 10 shares of each one. Uh, it wasn't the better investing model, obviously, but he just loved to investigate new things. Uh, I still have in my portfolio a couple of shares of Microsoft that date back to the second year of Microsoft's existence. Uh, and they came to Natalie from her dad. Uh, and when those stocks came to her, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was something we had not really played around with very much. Our parents had taught us both my parents had taught me more than anything else that the stock market was something you didn't want to play with. It was, right, it was, going to, to it was right. It was going to ruin you. It was, you know, the mattress was better than the stock market. So, um, 
we decided we were going to try to manage these stocks. And we did some real boneheaded things in the beginning and bought some odd things. Uh, I'll tell you this one short story. Um, my third investment, and it's emblazoned in my mind, my third investment was Pan American Airlines. Uh, we heard it was going to go bankrupt. Uh, and I said to Natalie, I said, it can't go bankrupt. It's a huge airline. How low can it really go? Well, we found out it can go to zero. It, it did go bankrupt. Uh, we bought some and lost everything on it. Um, so that was the impetus for us trying to figure out how to really start to invest uh, right about that time. Um, uh, the gentleman that was running Magellan uh, Fund uh, uh, mentioned that you could get a really good investment education from the National Association of Investors Corporation, NAIC, and you should look it up and you should maybe put a, uh, a stock club together. So uh, we put a stock club together. We gathered together about 15 or 16 people from the school community. And about what uh, year was this? This would be in 19, maybe 85, 86, so you, something like that. So you were working like in the school system for 20 years and investing the $10. In the, in, well, it, it that amount grew it grew as the salary grew okay you know so it wasn't just ten dollars so it was, a, it was yeah. a percentage that he hooked you up with and then 20 years of doing that then you found better investing and we found better investing right okay. uh we didn't have too much to do with the 403b i mean it practically it will it more than practically it ran itself you all you did was give the money to a third party and they invested it so you know you had a couple of choices uh, every the beginning of every school year the agent for the insurance company that ran the uh it was called a fixed annuity uh they ran those annuities and they would give you a couple of choices but uh you, you know you really weren't doing very much so we we formed this investment club in the mid 80s it's still going today by the way um and it's it's as healthy as ever we have about 15 members in that club today including my grandson so uh, that's a that's a good thing. And what's the uh, name of the club? It's the Wolves Investment Club. Mm. The, the name we wanted when we went down to the clerk's office was already taken. So the guy that was there to get us a name in the clerk's office uh, was on the spot. And the Wolves happened to be the uh, mascot for the school. So he just off the top of his head, he said, OK, we'll be the Wolves Investment Club. And uh, we've been around for a long time now. Uh, we formed this club. Uh, uh, we were close enough to Madison Heights uh, where NAIC was, was focused. That was the headquarters. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And so uh, I had a different idea of what it really was. And Natalie and I got in the car in the summertime uh, after we formed and we drove down to the building thinking that there would be somebody that could sit down with us and explain how this club stuff worked and, and explain how to do everything. And, and instead they said, uh, you know, we, we don't have anybody here at the moment to, to help you out, but would you like to volunteer for your chapter? Uh, and I declined I it at that point. I declined. 
but we, in the car ride back, we, we talked about, you know, if you could get into an organization like that and, and learn about what they were doing, and then I could teach and, and you could, you could come to things with me. And there were all kinds of, uh, that played to all kinds of Natalie's strengths as well. She's a really good writer. Uh, she, she's very, very organized. And so it played to both of our strengths. So by the time we got home, we, we said, well, we should think more about that. Uh, lo and behold, about a month and a half or two months after we made that car ride, we got a letter from the last remaining director in the mid-Michigan chapter. He sent a letter out to every single member of the chapter. They were called uh, chapters then. No, yeah, yeah. And um, he said, I'm resigning. I'm going to send them the treasury back to headquarters if you folks don't come to a meeting and get new officers. So uh, about 50 of us showed up at the meeting. We didn't want him to send the treasury back. And uh, uh, they elected me the, the first president of the newly formed uh, mid-Michigan uh, it wasn't called a chapter then. It was something else. I'm not going to remember Councils. what it was. Councils. Thank you. Thank you. They're now chapters. It was mid-Michigan councils. Uh-huh. So I was elected president and we had no idea what we were doing, but we knew we were going to teach education and we knew we were going to do an investors fair. Uh, we got some great people on that council. And some of those people are still on the council even today uh, after, uh, I don't know, that was 1986 or 87. So um, maybe, you know, 27, 28 years, something like that. 30 that, some odd years. 30, yeah. 35. Yeah, 35. Yeah, oh, my, my goodness. Time. My before. goodness, I'm old. You know, 36 <laughs> years ago. So uh, we, we put everything together and. Uh, as the 90s came around, we became very active in better investing, and uh, I took a lot of different volunteer roles. Uh, I've pulled back uh, from the national organization and focused more on my chapter. It's now grown to include northern Michigan and central Michigan and western Michigan, so the chapter geography keeps getting bigger. Um uh, I'm very active on the web. I really enjoy teaching and being on the web. And that's where I'm focusing what I'm doing right now. But that's my investing life in a nutshell there. You know, I, I thought to myself uh, a lot when I first became a volunteer with Better Investing that I was kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes that I didn't know very much. Well, it turns out you don't have to know very much at the beginning uh, if you just work real hard at it and uh, listen to what other people have to say. And pretty soon you can repeat what they told you and you can send that on to somebody else. There's always beginners that want to hear uh, how to do various things. And there's always time to, to teach uh, uh, good, solid, basic stuff, and also a lot of the nuanced stuff that that comes with experience. So uh, I'm just happy to be doing what I'm doing and to be healthy enough to be doing what I'm doing still at at an advanced age. And uh, I'd like to do it for another five or 10 years yet, you know?
Well, Ken, you know, you, you took us all the way through and I, I probably should have, I think I have a good memory. I'm going to remember some of my questions because I have some threads that I want to pull all along the way. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to start with the end. Uh, your point about be, be, being, becoming uh, a BI volunteer is one of the best kept secrets uh, around because if you really want to learn and understand this, uh, BI volunteers know that you learn by doing. And one of the quickest ways to master uh, the principles of BI, the tools of BI, including the SSG and all the other resources is by serving, by volunteering, by being willing to teach someone else because in that process of teaching someone else, you're also learning. So uh, for those who are interested in, and you're saying to yourself, I wanna learn more, take up the mantle and see if you can explain it or try to explain it to, to a fellow BI member or invite someone else to, to the BI community and uh, be their mentor. And, and trust me, it's gonna be one of the uh, quickest and fast track ways for you to become a better investor. So um, with that said, you got something for that? Well, we just had a heart to heart about that. We had a meeting last night of one of the clubs that I'm a member of, and uh, they had uh, not done their assignment about the educational presentation that was supposed to be put on. So we didn't have one that night. And so we had kind of a heart to heart about the, the best way to learn is to turn around and try to teach it to somebody else. Uh, teachers know that from the beginning of their career. And a lot of people never discover that until you kind of push them a little bit and say, now we want you to take five minutes and explain this to the group. Uh, and when, when they do that a couple of times, they become more comfortable with, with what's going on. They remember it. And then they can pass it on not only once, but they can pass it on two or three more times uh, as needed. Right. So thank you for bringing up the rear with that, because, yeah, that is a, an encouragement call to all who are BI members and not yet better investing volunteers. And you don't really have to be a better investing volunteer. We interviewed someone, uh, I think last week, Charles uh, from the Maryland chapter. He's not a better investing volunteer. Uh, he is a better investing member, but he is working with a group of about five to seven uh, people um, age range from 25 to 55. And uh, they all, of course, have to be BI members, but he's teaching them. And, you know, he said that he did it because that's what his mentor did with him, you know, uh, charged him with starting an investment club, charged him with teaching and sharing. And so, um, again, that's just a soft, a soft push. Uh, for those that um, claim they want to uh, learn more and really, in essence, be better investors. Uh, that's one of the quickest ways. So I'm going to go back to the beginning because I like that you went all the way through. Now that the ground is covered, I know everybody's listening. <clears throat> one of the things that um, I find intriguing and um, I really like this, you didn't say it specifically within your story, but I like the fact that you didn't, you didn't allow your father's perception of the stock market to stop you. And I think that 
I don't know if sometimes it's a gender thing, sometimes it's a race thing, but I love hearing people that had parents or grandparents from the Great Depression because, you know, when you hear that story, when you hear how those people were raised, they were raised to be savers. They were raised not to trust the stock market. And usually my question to them is, when was the pivotal moment that you began learning about investing? Because I think it, it really takes some courage to kind of break that mold. Now, I don't know if this is how you perceived it. This is how I perceived it. You know, you, even though he didn't trust the stock market, you, um, you observed him buying bonds. And to me, you just leveled up, you know, and you didn't buck or push against your mentor when, um, when you were hired at the school and you didn't fight him for auto enrolling you into the 403B plan. You know, some of us aren't that lucky, you know, to kind of have that kind of intervention, but also you didn't stop there. You know, 20 years of being a teacher, being a principal, even though you were investing automatically, you still ended up much later in your life learning about better investing, joining better investing. Um, so, you know, just talk to us about what encouraged you to kind of have that mindset shift um, to be able to say, okay, yeah, dad, I, I, I see and I hear that you don't trust the stock market, but I'm willing to learn more and do something different. And also stay encouraged in the process. Cause like you said, on your third try of PM, you know, it went bust, but you still were, you still was committed to the process of, you know, your investment education journey. Ione, excuse me, Ione, I was the first uh, person in my family to go to college. And my dad had a great deal of trust in my judgment and a great deal of trust in my education. Uh, he got to know Natalie's father quite well. And I never, ever would have expected uh, this college professor and this machinist to hit it off, but they did. And they were able to sit down in the family room and just talk with each other for uh, quite a long period of time. In fact, I kind of was a little bit jealous because I thought that a lot of times my dad was more comfortable with my father-in-law than I really was. Um, but uh, I think that a couple of things really helped us to, to move into the market. One, we were geographically separated. Uh, we were up in Michigan. My dad was down in Cleveland and then later down in South Carolina where they moved uh, for their retirement. So I didn't see them on a regular basis. And it, was, it wasn't that we were hiding anything, but, but we were doing things that they weren't automatically knowing about because they were they were very close geographically it was also the the feelings that came from uh, my first boss who really was a father figure to me um, and uh, his belief that the stock market was the only way uh, to uh, to become a comfortable teacher in retirement he said you can't count 
on your pension. You can't count on Social Security. You have to have your own savings, and they have to be enough so that you can feel comfortable. You don't have to call yourself rich, but they have to make you feel comfortable so that you can retire on your terms, and so you're not still teaching when you're 70. Now, uh, the last time he told me that, he was 74, and he was still superintendent, but uh, he didn't want necessarily that for all the people that he was close to and all the people that he was mentoring. Uh, the other thing that I think really pushed me in that direction was Natalie's father uh, finding out that he was an investor and a very quiet investor. He didn't share this with, with Natalie or her sister or myself, uh, but finding out that this was his passion and looking at the record of how some of these stocks made money and looking at how he chose uh, his stocks. Uh, it turns out he was a value line subscriber. It turns out that uh, he had to be looking at the Better Investing Top 100 or a similar list because that's where his investments tended to go. So right, right, he, was, right. he was investing in good, high-quality growth stocks just the same way we were, and he was doing it on a regular basis, and he wasn't pulling the dividends out. Uh, I don't know about whether he consciously balanced by size of company, but boy, he was following at least three of our four basic principles uh, the entire time. So when we got this portfolio, uh, we wanted to know, you know, how much of it did we have to keep intact? Uh, were we supposed to sell parts of it? Where should we put new money? Because we immediately thought about keeping the portfolio growing. And uh, most importantly, we didn't want to see it disappear in the next two or three years after we received it. I think that's really easy to do when you get money uh, from a, a, a relative. An inheritance, uh, right? Yeah, you turn around and it's gone, you know, and we didn't want that. We wanted to make sure that it was there for uh, our kids and our grandkids and, and whatever. So uh, I... It wasn't anything conscious. And in fact, when we formed our family club in 88, yes, in 88, my dad and my mom both joined our family club. Wow. I told my dad that we were putting money in the stock market. And he said, I trust you, you know? And uh, what I really think happened is my mom said, you're gonna do it. And then, and then he said nice things <laughs> to me. But, but whether, whether my mom kind of told him he was gonna do it or he came to that conclusion himself, he was a participant in the family club. And that was 180 degrees away from the way that he had talked when I was growing up. Wow. Well, Ken, uh, I, I'm going to share this recent news. I, I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I've been a member of Better Investing for 20 years. Well, now 22 in June of this year. And um, a few weeks ago, I mean, let's say about a month ago, I did a youth program with Bob Wynn out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And one of the young boys came on and said and asked me, um, did your father teach you how to invest? 
And I had to respond, no. Uh, unfortunately, my dad kind of abhorred the stock market and has always been a saver. And so um, it's only been funny enough within the last month uh, that my father has come to me and said the exact same thing that your father said to you. And <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, I've been in this house for 20 years. And you <laughs> <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you nobody was more surprised than your mother, huh? <sighs> yeah, she was in the background, like, <laughs> giving me a dap and stuff. I was just like, 20 years? Are you the same person that was telling me I shouldn't be doing this in high school? And 20 years, you just now coming to me talk about some... Oh, yeah, let me give you this money. I trust your decision maker. I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't wait for that stamp of approval before I got started because, you know, it, it, well, it, it just would not have been there. It certainly validates a lot of volunteer hours, though, doesn't it? Volunteer hours and 20 years of watching how compound interest can really just you know, uh, take over your portfolio. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh Compounding God. is just the most amazing thing. Uh, you know, the very first uh, investors fair that we did in mid-Michigan after we reformed it was uh, in the early 90s. And uh, we had Tom O'Hara and his wife at that very first investors fair. Uh, I was the president of the chapter. So he sat next to me at lunch. And we were talking about all kinds of things investing. Uh, and I complimented the, the Mutual Club of Detroit about how they did. And, and he, he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, we really didn't do as well as a lot of clubs have done. He said, the only thing that I have going for me is I've lived longer than a lot of people. And I've had a chance to watch it compound over and over and over again. Uh, it's, it's a hidden gem, a hidden secret that if you can put something away and, and kind of forget about it for a little bit, you, you really can come back to something quite sizable. Ken, let me, let me do one of yours. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Okay. So um, about speaking of investor fair, you know, the South Florida chapter for many years, uh, of course, led by Phil Keating, the great, as I will refer to him. Um, <clears throat> the investor fair is where I met a lot of uh, investor relation representatives of companies. They would come down. And so Aflac, my favorite was uh, Procter & Gamble, um, Home Depot, Pfizer, blah, 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 blah. So in 2002, um, I invested $2,000 in Home Depot and $2,000 in Pfizer. And it was in the, you know, direct stock purchase plan through the company. So, you know, I would get the statements, but I wouldn't look at them, you know, because I just knew you needed to start early and not touch it. And the best way to not touch it is to not look at it. So um, about a few years ago, I, you know, transferred the, the funds over to, um, my brokerage account at Vanguard, which was recently opened. Can you, can you take a guess to how much Pfizer ended up being and Home Depot ended up being? Well, it has to be in the hundreds or even thousands of percent. Uh, I, can't, uh, I can't 
put a number on it, but uh, those were two great growth companies and they're still great growth stories. Yes. Now at the time, you know, Pfizer had come out with, um, the little blue Viagra. We had them at an investors fair also right about right. that time. Well, you know, so. I'm, I'm thinking that was going to be the one that knocks it out the park. No, it was it was the other one. So Pfizer ended up being seven thousand dollars. Home Depot ended up being one hundred and forty thousand dollars. Yeah. And I'm just like, it took me 20 years of not looking at it, investing it and hiding it away to really witness what that thing could do. And I, and to be honest, I mean, um, a few years ago, I, I watched my retirement account compound and that was one experience. But that one Home Depot stock in 2002 to now 2022, to me, it just uh, took my concept and level of appreciation of compound interest to a whole nother level and now my perspective is you can't teach compound interest you can only experience it because you can only you live it right yeah, absolutely once you experience it i mean you won't have words for it yep absolutely and and you know uh i mean you don't have to hit a home run with every single stock that you put money in you know the downward side of, of a stock is nothing more than the size of your initial investment so if you put in a thousand dollars there's a thousand dollars downward uh negativity attached to it but there's an unlimited upside to it and it's dependent on how long you hold it and it's dependent on how great a growth stock it was to begin with. You don't have to hit a whole lot of home runs to balance out a whole slew of strikeouts. You really don't. Exactly. So I, I'm glad we were able to kind of share that experience about our fathers and, and about compound interest. Um, one of the other questions I have, and this is a, a lot of people now are talking about generational wealth. I think that it was amazing in 88, which fortunately or unfortunately was when I was born. Uh, you started a family club and, you know, I'm sure throughout this family club, you had at least three generations, your parents, yourself, and even your kids. Uh, talk to us about how this journey of investment education for you has empowered you to think differently and think more creatively about your family's wealth, what you may set up for your kids, whether it be 529 plans, Roth IRAs, brokerage accounts, just kind of give us some specifics about, um, I think, financially and education-wise, how you are enriching the members of your family. Well, the family club began uh, with four generations, actually. Uh, Great-grandma, grandma, grandma uh, my generation, and, and my kids. And um, we started the club as just a very traditional investment club. Uh, the first grandchild came along in 1998. Uh, and at that point, the club looked at each other and they said, you know, we're, we're, 
we, we want them to go to school. I can never remember a time when my parents weren't telling me that I was going to college. I can never, ever remember a time. And we wanted our grandkids to grow up in that same culture, that same idea. And to make that happen, they had to have some resources. Uh, Natalie and I had also seen what debt can do to college students in today's world, that uh, it's it, you, you can't earn enough on a summer job like you might have been able to in the 50s and 60s, you can't earn enough in the summer to pay for your tuition in the winter. It just doesn't work that way anymore. So the goal of the family club became, uh, let's try to put aside enough money so that these kids can go to college debt-free and graduate. Uh, the first one is graduating in May, debt-free. Uh, from the family club. Uh, her uh, stepbrother is uh, following her by one semester, debt-free uh, from a university with a degree in chemistry. Uh, the oldest granddaughter is going to be a social worker. Uh, one of the grandkids decided after two and a half years that the, uh, the, the COVID experience was something that she just wasn't learning from. And she is, is out there working right now with the intention of going back to school once schools get back to a little bit more traditional type of, uh, of setup and it's not all online anymore. Online didn't work for her at all. Um, you'd think that would be all the grandkids, all three of them clustered together. But uh, three years ago, my daughter had another one. There's almost 20 years between the oldest and the, and the, the youngest here. So we're, we're putting resources together to make sure that she can go to college, no matter what college costs, that she can go uh, to college debt-free. Uh, and we did that. We chose to do it th through the family club. Uh, for the little one, we're probably looking at 529s now uh, because Natalie and I don't plan on being around when we're 100, uh, 110, maybe 100, but not 110, okay? Uh, and uh, all those things really gave us the, the impetus to uh, be excited about saving as a family group. Uh, and putting money together as a family group. Uh, never a lot, uh, the, the most that anybody puts in uh, is uh, my sister-in-law uh, who uh, lost her husband uh, four or five years ago. And now she puts in what he and she together used to put in. So it, it, she kept that, that same, uh, money going into the club but the and rest of us you know, a month, no we're talking we're talking for for some people as little as 10 for other people 50 or 60 Excellent. and for those of us with resources maybe 100 or even 200 Excellent. so it uh, it depends on what resources you have and uh you know if you hit a time when your budget's really stretched uh, we don't care if your normal $200 goes down to 50, just try to give us something every month exactly. so that we keep growing the, the, the money that's going to be there. We hoped 
that most of the money that people put in there themselves was going to be able to go right back to them. Uh, we hoped that the money that we took from the different uh, contributions and put into the kids' accounts uh, was what they were going to be able to pay for college with. So far, it's worked out. Uh, so far, the two that are graduating are going to have uh, a little bit of a nest egg to begin life with. It's not going to be. It's not going to be something that's going to ruin their life. Uh, I, I don't believe in giving kids huge amounts of money when they're uh, 25 years old that they don't they're not wise enough a lot of times to deal with that, but they will be able to to put deposits on apartments and maybe put a good down payment on a decent car for transportation and things like that, you know, so uh, it's it's worked out fine for us. Uh, it's it's all back to what we learned with better investing. Um, you know, there are probably more efficient ways of doing this today with all of the different uh, schemes there are to, to put money to, away for, for people and for kids. But a club still offers that that learning that you just can't find anywhere else. Exactly. And it offers, it, it, it gives you a group of friends. Our Mid-Michigan Model Club now is probably 30 years old now, maybe 27 years old. And uh, that's a group of friends besides being a group of fellow investors. Some of those folks, we've been together for 27 years. And uh, you, you can't you can't minimize how important that is on your way to learning things, not only about investing, but about life. We've gone through all kinds of things besides investing together, right. and it's made us all stronger. Right. You know, um, there are some things I want to touch on uh, in just in this segment. The first is <clears throat> I'm loving the Family Investment Club with uh, the added purpose of paying for um, the college education of the children and grandchildren and offspring of the family. Um, were those youth actively involved in the investment club growing up? Were they yeah. members of the club? Yes and no. Oh, they were all members. They were members from the day they were born. Now, they okay. were members with their accounts held in trust by somebody else, obviously, okay. when, they were, when they were little. Uh, we taught every one of them that there was a club and that we were saving money for them to go to college. And the money wasn't for anything else except going to college. And when they got money on Christmas or birthdays or holidays, we would always say to each one of them, give me some of that money for the club. Now, the, the two girls, the two oldest girls, uh, basically looked at you like you were from a different planet and said, no way are you getting any of my money. But my grandson started giving me money when he was three years old. Uh, he trusted. He knew that, that, that just, I don't know how he knew. He was three, but he knew enough to trust. And so he started giving me money when he was three. Around when he was seven, he come, came over to me at the computer one day and kind of nudged me with his elbow. And he says, Papa, he says, what exactly is this club? 
Okay, and at that point, I knew that we had him and we were going to be able to teach him and deal with him. The girls are just now starting to understand that you have to budget, that you have to learn how to deal with money. I don't think it's a sex thing. I just think it's Aubrey and Amber. That's just the way they are. And, um, that, you know, but, but they're interested now in where did the money come from to send them to college and how can they put money together as they mature and as they begin to raise families themselves. So we're, we're, we're successful so far. Ethan has become a trustee of the family foundation. We've turned uh, a lot of the money into a family foundation uh, and he's a, uh, a trustee with Natalie and myself and a couple of other folks right now. And we have great hopes that that uh, by the time we pass on, he'll be mature enough to be the lead trustee for the foundation. So. And did you did now, are you calling the investment club a foundation or did you actually change it over from an, a family investment club to the found to a actual the, foundation? The accounts <laughs> of some of the members are in the foundation. Uh, not all of the accounts are. There are some of the people that are still uh, actively working. They're, they still need that money as backup money. It's savings. Uh, so not, not all the club money is in the foundation, but some of the larger accounts are definitely in the foundation. Obviously, my mom and dad have passed on by now. Uh, their accounts were cashed out and then redistributed to their heirs. And three of the four heirs, uh, the money went right back into the club again, into those accounts. And for three of the four, the, the money is in the foundation now. So, so. I, I had some prior questions before this foundation. I'm, I'm going to get to them and then get to this, because I think this is a Exactly. Charles Bright said, how do you start a foundation? That's a great idea. I think so, too. I, I didn't even know that you had that going on. Uh, before I get there, I, a little earlier in, in the conversation when you talked about, and I want to point this out, and I'm going to take the liberty as a young Black woman, I'm going to say this. Um, so don't feel offended, Ken. Um, there are going to be some people after the show that, or even during the show, that's going to listen to this and they're going to say in their head, oh, look, that's what white people do. White <laughs> <laughs> they, they need to read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. And I'll tell you, my dad was not a rich dad. Exactly. My dad was not teaching me what white people do to make money. Okay, thank, thank I you, learned Ken. the same way that you learned and that most people of modest means have to learn to deal with money. And if I can do it with my background, um, that doesn't mean I didn't learn, that doesn't mean I didn't work hard, but I didn't get it from birth. There was no silver spoon in my mouth. Right. Uh, we, we, I, I won't go any further. Right. So <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's good right there, Ken, because I'm going to take it home. And the point that I'm, I'm getting from you sharing your experience is this one, the first generation it, with your father, 
you did not get it. And I'm glad that you tied in your wife's background because even though her father was a silent investor, she didn't get it. No, she didn't. How, right. However, you both decided to take action and learn for yourself and not get hung on hung up on what you did not get. So I want to say that very clear. Then I'll go to my next point, which is you didn't get it. You started to get it for yourself. And as you started to get, get it for yourself, you started to learn about it and create the structure that allowed for, not for you to do for your siblings, your kids, your children's kids, but you said, you know what, I'm learning about this. How about we all learn it together? And I'm saying that to some people that I just had this conversation literally with my father yesterday who has saved and I was fortunate enough for him to pay for, you know, my HBCU education at Howard. But, you know, he also paid for his siblings, children's HBCU college education with the intent that they would pay it for it to the next generation. And I said, but did you ever tell them that they should be paying it forward? And the answer was no. And so I'm saying this explicitly to people that wanna do for others, do for the next generation without actually doing what's best for them, which is to engage with them in the learning process. They have to learn this stuff. Like you said, Ken, if you give the next generation, you know, the big inheritance and they don't have the information for what to do with that thing, they're going to blow through it. I mean, you, you can look at history, look, go read the Rockefeller book. Um, the guy just came, Vanderbilt book, you know, just came out with a book. This is, this is not race specific, you know, families of generational wealth, a lot of times it doesn't last. Why? Because generations got caught up in doing for the next generation and not actually teaching the next generation how to be custodians of the wealth. So with that, I'm going to take it to the next thing. You all start an investment club. And for those that don't know about investment club, I'm going to do the BI plug right now. Please visit betterinvesting.org. If you're not yet a member, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page. There's a 90 day free membership. If you're interested in visiting an investment club to see what investment clubs are about, you can go to the search button, type in South Florida chapter, type in Mid Michigan chapter, and you can visit any model club from any of our chapters for free uh, and be what I like to call a fly on the wall. Observe how we operate uh, an investment club based on the better investing principles. So that being squared away, investment clubs, generally this audience knows that it's a, a partnership between and among the members uh, investing small amounts of money each month, collectively you're studying stocks, investing stocks. Okay, we have that. So you all had an investment club started in 1988. Talk to us about this foundation. How did you create that? Why did you create that? What well, is the structure of that? Well, I think that there's an awful lot of families. I've I've discovered that there's a lot of families that that uh, as they move towards uh, retirement and into retirement, uh, they want a way to consolidate their their cash, their resources, their whatever they have, uh, and they want to protect it. 
and uh, any elder lawyer can help you set up uh, a uh, a personal foundation. Uh, uh, right now, uh, my wife and I are the lead trustees, and it doesn't feel like the money is any different than it ever has been our entire life because we're allowed to spend what we want, where we want, when we want. But as I pass on and my wife passes on, there's certain written things in the documentation to the foundation where the, uh, the, the tail end of the IRAs, for example, uh, belong to the foundation, not to an individual. Uh, the bank accounts belong to a foundation. All of the investment club accounts, and uh, Natalie belongs to three clubs. I belong to four. That's, for us at least, that's a significant amount of money in those clubs. And those will all flow to the foundation once uh, we pass on. Now, uh, if I go first, uh, Natalie has full control and she'll be the lead trustee. It works the other way. If she passes on first, uh, we're just hoping to have a, a well-trained group of trustees. My sister uh, is five and a half years younger than I am. Uh, women live longer, so we're hoping that, that she'll be a good kind of bridge trustee until Ethan, the grandson, uh, moves into his early 30s. And we think by that time, he'll have enough maturity and enough uh, smarts and everything else. He's already a really smart kid doing really well in college. Uh, and he just needs the the maturity and the wisdom now to go with it. My two kids have no interest in investing. Uh, it We've tried. Uh, it just didn't take. Uh, we adopted both of them when uh, they were eight and six years old. And uh, the, the value of money never quite got connected uh, in their minds. And both of them are extremely happy with the fact that they're going to have sizable inheritances, but the foundation is going to control how much they get on a, uh, a regular basis so that they're not going to suddenly have sums of money that they don't have any idea of how to deal with. My son told me two years ago, he said, dad, if you give me a half a million dollars, I'll have it spent within a year. He knows himself. He wow. knows what will happen. So he knows that, that he'd like that money, but he knows that he'd like it maybe spread out over five years or even maybe seven years uh, to go and supplement his own uh, resources. You know, my daughter is even more certain that she doesn't want anything. She says, Dad, I could spend $200,000 in one day if you let me. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and, and she was laughing just like you were. I mean, she's halfway kidding, but uh, you can do all these things in a foundation. And then the trustee always has the right to break the rules whenever there's an emergency. So you need to talk to a lawyer. It's a legal thing. You need to set up the documentation uh, and you need to maybe do a little bit of reading. There's all kinds of literature out there about 
how to set it up and what you might consider including and what you might consider not including in the foundation. And do you, you know? feel like setting up a family foundation for those set purposes is about the same amount of work as setting up a trust? Well, I think that we're calling it the Kavula Family Foundation, but technically it is a trust. Ah, okay. Okay. Technically it. it is a trust. All okay. right. I love uh, it. I wasn't going to bring in another piece of vocabulary, but uh, that's what well, the I lawyer will tell you when you say, I want to set up a foundation. He'll say, do you mean a trust? And uh, you'll say yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we did bridge that gap. Uh, as if you've been on to previous shows, you've heard me say that uh, at the end of last year, I finalized my uh, revocable trust. And again, you know, this is a journey. Um, this is a process. And for those that are really thinking about generational wealth, not only do you build it, but then you really start to think what systems and things, infrastructure can I put in place that can really you know, achieve those goals. And it's so, a it's a living document, Ione. You want to revisit it every three or four years. You don't want to write it and then let it sit in a drawer somewhere for the next 20 years. That's right. not the way it works. And the know? other part that people have to realize, just like people may contribute to a 401k or an IRA and, and the money sitting in the money market account because you didn't invest it, the same with the trust or foundation you know, you actually have to fund the trust. So you actually yeah. have to, you know, move the assets from your name into the name of the trust. So I'm saying that so people can really get into their minds. Most investing is a two-step process. And a lot of people are getting hung up on that one-step process. Oh, I have this. I, I opened the account. I, 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 I finished <laughs> talking to the lawyer. I have the document. <laughs> The document means nothing. If you die and there's no assets in the name of the document, <laughs> trust me, most of right. that will go to the state through probate. So anyway, yep. uh, one thing I, I did want to say, and again, Ken, thank you so much for being vulnerable to actually talk about uh, how your kids, your own kids, grown, you know, raised by you and your wife, have not taken to this this thing of investing have not taken to better investing. And I think that's so, so important to share because there are people that wanna start investing, uh, but they say, oh, I'm gonna tell my kids. And then when their kids don't get it, then they have not yet moved on. Or I wanna do this for my family. And just because those in your nucleus family doesn't take to it, you don't press on. And so I just wanna, again, thank you for really sharing that. Uh, because even within your own family, you're showing us that, you know, all it takes is one, two is better, three is even more, you know, but everybody in the family doesn't have to be all in, but it doesn't mean that they aren't considered for, they aren't planned for, uh, they just, it's not mandated and, and that's fine, you know, and I'm so glad that you're really showing how you can be at peace with that, because I think that for those of us that are learning about investing, a lot of times we get discouraged when we feel like we should be telling other people, you need to be doing this. And they like, mm, that's well, not important. You, to you me. know, of course, the feelings that you'd like to stay around forever and manage that forever for them. You'd love to have that happen. But 
reality sets in and you understand that you have to leave them with with a plan and then you have to be willing to allow somebody else to change that plan if the circumstances dictate. That's why you have trustees. That's why you have people that have the power to do the right thing with that money. And then you only hope that you choose the best and the best trustees you possibly can. Exactly. And I think that by sharing this experience with us, you really do show us an example of how families can come together and learn about investing together and actually invest together. Because like you said, uh, this whole process of the investment club and even the foundation, it's not just you and your wife having it as a brainchild on behalf of the family. It's the whole family being involved. It's the whole family giving input, learning, contributing. And that's one of the best um, uh, family building experiences that you could ever have, which is literally creating something together as a family that the entire family benefits. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm, a, I'm gonna put you in a little secret. What you have done, um, the Marriott family haven't even done well. The Hilton family hasn't even done well. What you've done is actually a process that many families in business, like Bush Beans, they've done it well. They're, you know, in uh, six or seven generations of, of, of family ownership of a business. But an investment club and this foundation process really is the exact same thing. So I think that you hit it on the head. Uh, anybody wants more information about families that start investment clubs? Become a member of Better Investing. I've seen on, in multiple monthly magazine issues, families talking about their family club and how they, you know, have taken withdrawals in order to send children and grandchildren to school. So if this is your first time hearing about this concept, uh, welcome to BI. Uh, please continue to get engaged because that's what our membership does. And we are a nonprofit volunteer run organization. Um, so, you know, I have to let you know that too, if, if you want to know where we're coming from. Go ahead, Ken. Naomi, what I, what I don't want to do is, is leave people with the idea that you have to have the whole family involved from the beginning. Uh, if you have family members that are interested, then start. Uh, if you're, if, if some of your family's not interested, then accept that, uh, and move on. Uh, you're, you, you won't get complete buy-in from even the the second you know second ring of family out there's yeah. always some that won't buy in they might buy in later if you show some success but there are some that are extremely stubborn and they're going to do it their way no matter what uh, we all have uh, a stubborn relative uh, and uh, it it cuts across all demographics and all religions and all races and everything and and don't waste your time on somebody that's so stubborn they don't want to be involved. Do it with the people that want to help and want to get involved and learn. Excellent. So as we close, I, I want to um, invite you to talk about the work you're doing with Manifest Investing. Um, how impactful that is. I'm, I'm just going to give you a, a, a quick little, you and Mark, um, a quick little shout out. When I was getting back into better investing a few years ago, I said, well, yeah, I'll say this now, I'll say the next thing. I said, where can I go where I can just listen and follow 
you know, the research and then make my investment. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the uh, Michigan uh, um, Manifest Investing Sessions at uh, the last Tuesday of the month, usually the fourth Tuesday of the month, right? It's the last Tuesday of the last month, the roundtable. Uh-huh, the roundtable. Right, table. the roundtable. And, you know, from there, and that's one of the quickest things, because as we talk about, especially with beginners in better investing, uh, the number one thing is to complete an SSG. Don't get caught up in, you know, analysis paralysis or taking too much analyst information into account. Complete an SSG. And then after that, invest. It, it, it's no use to know how to talk about stocks. Read uh, the 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 Wall Street Journal, look at MSNBC and all that stuff if you're not actually investing. So uh, with that said, uh, Manifest Investing uh, and Mid-Michigan Chapters roundtables have been phenomenal. Uh, the bull sessions are, are really just icing and sprinkling on the cake. So talk to us about uh, the work that you're doing uh, with Manifest and um, maybe some sessions that's coming up and how people can reach, reach you. Well, Back uh, around the turn of the century, uh, Mark came to our very first stock pickers breakfast. Uh, we've been running a stock contest in Michigan now for over 20 years, and he came as the guest speaker. He has since come to every single one of them as our guest speaker. Uh, I can't tell you how appreciative we are of his commitment to teaching uh, the people of his geography. It's, it's really, really uh, something that we value. Uh, he came to that very first stock picker's breakfast and we took him out for lunch afterwards, about five or six of us. And he said, you know, he said, you should be doing something regionally. You have all these chapters close by, you should be doing something regionally. He says, Ken, he says, I want you to start making phone calls and set up a, a regional conference. I said, sure. Um, and then didn't think of it. Well, he wrote me an email to follow up on it. And I said, okay, I'll send emails out and see what happens. Well, that led to a series of things that we called Burks, Better Investing Regional Conferences. Uh, we were drawing three, four, 500 people to those Burks right around the turn of the century. Uh, now that's business model is not a very good business model anymore. Uh, companies don't like to send you uh, somebody to speak and then pay for the privilege of having the speaker there. So uh, we we started doing these roundtable uh, events about 11 years ago. Uh, it's four of us, really. Mark Robertson, uh, who lives about 45 miles from where I do, Cy Lynch out of Atlanta, and Hugh McManus out of Pasadena. Hugh is a former uh, chairman of the Volunteer Advisory Board. Cy is a longtime better investing volunteer, and currently he's chairman of the board, the, the, the regular board that controls the nonprofit. Uh, Mark runs Manifest Investing, uh, and I'm the odd man out with no formal job of any kind, although I've held all kinds of jobs <laughs> in better investing uh, since then. Uh, we put our mouth, our money where our mouth is. We publish all of the results of what our stock picks and tricks do. 
uh, we give you three or four stocks that we like, and we add them to our tracking portfolio. Uh, our last roundtable was a week ago. Our tracking portfolio was beating the market over almost 12 years now, was beating the market by four and a half points. Now, that doesn't mean that the return was four and a half. The return was somewhere around 17% over that time period, but that's compared to a lesser return from a, an index fund. Uh, we think that's pretty spectacular uh, when you can take four uh, relative amateurs, have them make stock picks, have a lot of guests come in, allow the audience to pick one of the four stocks and we'll add an extra uh, $1,000 for the audience and then to have that kind of performance. We have a great deal of fun doing it and we attract uh, 250, 300 people to our round table uh, and we don't do that much work. If you'd, I'm gonna put a plug in. If you'd like to uh, be reminded of the round table, just send an email to nkavula1 at comcast.net. N-K-A-V-U-L-A-1 at comcast.net. And uh, that's my wife, Natalie, and she'll be sure and put you on our guest list, okay? There, uh, Ione put that uh, up there on the screen for you. Um, about two years ago, Mark said, I'm getting bored in COVID. Uh, he said, let's start a new program. Uh, and I was more than getting bored. I was going stir crazy. So about two years ago, we started a, something called the Bull Session. And the Bull Session is every Tuesday at two o'clock in the afternoon. Occasionally we miss a Tuesday, but we warn you we're gonna miss it when that happens. And basically we talk about whatever interests us about the stock market. We take our audience suggestions and we'll talk about those the next time. We have a, a wide open mic, so we'll let people uh, debate with us and talk with us and, and bring up interesting things. Uh, that's been a, well, we started out with about 20 people. I mean, that was a brand new program. And now we're attracting about 75 or 80 every Tuesday afternoon. We'd love for you to come to the bull session. Uh, all you have to do is send an email to Mark and he'll send you registration materials for the bull session. That's mark at manifestinvesting.com. Mark at manifestinvesting.com. And he'll send you information. Ask him about the bull session and he'll send you a registration link then. It's free. It's all free. We put it all up on YouTube. On YouTube. So, yeah. The recordings so it's, are great. It's up on YouTube. There's probably a hundred different recordings. You know, when, when Mark said he was going to do that, I thought, sure, and we'll get six hits. Some of our things have hundreds and hundreds of hits now. We're not famous yet, but we're getting, <laughs> we're getting more hits than I ever dreamed we would get on some of these investing topics. So um, I, I love working with Mark. I hope he feels the same about working with me. Our styles just from the very first time that I taught with him, 
Uh, I knew that I had met somebody that we could play a, uh, play Abbott and Costello or Martin and Lewis or whatever you want to call it with. Our personalities mesh, uh, our styles mesh, and uh, most importantly, our investing philosophies uh, are right with each other. Um, it's, it's a great partnership. Uh, and as long as we're having fun, we're going to keep on doing it. Uh, we know our audience is having fun because our audiences keep growing. So we know that they're enjoying what's going on. And, and you folks out there that come to these sessions, you write us such nice things. I'm certain you get the same kind of stuff, Ione. And, uh, you know, a, a really nicely written email uh, is worth uh, uh, just it, it makes your day. And occasionally I even get a really nicely written old fashioned note in the mail. And that goes even further to make your day that somebody took the time to put wow. pen to paper and then put it in an envelope and mail it out. Um, we, we love doing it for you folks and uh, we'll continue uh, as long as we have an audience. Well, Ken, I, I appreciate all the time that you've given. I'm going to be selfish and say me, um, but more, more importantly, us, um, because uh, just like, you know, you, you and Mark started the Bull Sessions, my mom and I and McNeil, both uh, chapter directors out of the South Florida chapter, uh, we started hashtag my investing story in March of 2020, uh, because we knew that uh, a lot of new investors, especially new BI members, needed to connect on a uh, qualitative story, personal connection before they could even open up to the SSG. We recognize that for some people, there was a gap between them coming into BI and them mastering the tools or even a lot of our um, uh, beginner sessions are, are uh, starting from. So again, thank you to you and Ann Kuniass uh, for the remake of um, the beginner sessions. Again, check out betterinvesting.org. Uh, a lot of the stuff is free even before you become a member. You can always uh, try out the 90-day membership. I put the link in the chat for the Mid-Michigan chapter. They have some great events coming up. Uh, South Florida chapter has some events coming up, namely uh, our CASA class this Saturday. Uh, the rejuvenated and revived BI South Region chapter, uh, not chapter, but BI South Region, which uh, encompasses the Southern chapters of Better Investing. We're going to be doing um, a stock analysis, SSG and sector presentation next week, Tuesday. Um, so please uh, check out the Better Investing uh, South Florida chapter page if you want to uh, register for that or send me an email. Thank you, Ann. Bink is going to be in Dallas at the Western Dallas, June 23rd through 26th. So if you could come by and check us out, see us live and in person, sit in on some of the amazing classes. I know Ken is probably going to be doing the beginner's track again. We have such great seasoned, experienced presenters. Um, but again, Ken, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any closing words before we... Oh. I only, 
we've rewritten the intermediate series of classes and Anne Cunez and I are going to teach those starting at the end of March also. Oh, wow. So uh, they're completely re redone and, and revi uh, just renewed. And so uh, if you get a chance um, uh, to take those in, uh, they'll start uh, at the end of March and it'll be on the Better Investing website, all the dates and the registration materials. Excellent. Well, thank you again uh, for your service overall to the Better Investing community. I, I don't wear this hat often because I don't like to uh, put on too many titles, but as a, a Better Investing National Director, I'm going to say thank you so much for your service longer than I've been alive to all of the chapters of the Better Investing a community and now to a larger pub, um, larger audience because with the work you're doing with, with Mark and Manifest Investing, you know, you all are really leading the charge from a technology perspective um, and doing things online, which really expands our reach and our scope. And, you know, not to mention the, the inside work that you're doing with the home office to really keep our um, education video presentations up to date. So with that, Ken, thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed myself. Excellent. Good night, everybody. Good night.